Welcome to the Nanalyze podcast. We are a boutique media and research firm specializing in disruptive innovation. Visit nanalyze.com for more details. How to buy stocks is the topic of today's presentation. While this might seem like a simple topic, buying stocks, it isn't. It's rather complex. And whilst this presentation is targeted towards newbie investors, there's also a fair bit of information in here that experienced investors can benefit from as well. Now, why you're buying stocks, we don't know. But the goal that everyone who buys stocks has is to increase their wealth. And when you take a look at how wealthy people invest their money, let's say institutional investors, people with lots of money to invest, they don't just go and open up a Robinhood account and YOLO into whatever stock's being talked about. There's different things that you can invest in besides stocks. There's perhaps the most known investment, that's realty, if you purchase a home because you need a place to live. There's ETFs. These are exchange-traded funds. There's funds themselves, though those are rather antiquated because they have high fees, and it's better just to invest in an ETF. They're more efficient. They have better transaction fees. There's bonds and fixed income, alternative assets like wine and art and gold. You have private equity, and that usually lends itself to accredited investors, people that have lots of money to invest, hedge funds and the like. So, But we're going to specifically talk about stocks. And when you think about buying stocks, think about the amount of wealth that you want to contribute to that asset class. So for example, here's a look at our asset class allocation. And we've invested quite heavily in stocks. The first two items in this chart, Quantigens and Nanolites. Quantigens is our dividend growth strategy, which is 30 dividend growth stocks. And Nanolites is our tech portfolio that has 38 right now tech stocks. And then you see we have some European and Asian funds and then cash and alternatives. So when you're going to buy stocks, make sure that you take a step back and think about allocating your assets across different asset class types as opposed to just buying stocks. In order to buy stocks, of course, you're going to need a brokerage firm. And the only brokerage firms that we're going to talk about are ones that we use. So trading is now free. Before, you would assess the merits of a brokerage firm based on how much they charged you per transaction. These days, it's all free, so you don't have to worry about that. But what you shouldn't do is patronize establishments that encourage irresponsible behavior, especially if their business depends on it, and Robin Hood comes to mind there. That's not an outfit that you should get involved with. If anyone offers you margin or options trading perms or suggests those to you, avoid firms like that because they want you to take risks, and when their clientele takes lots of risks, then that means there's lots of risk associated with the platform as well. The best firms that we can recommend are those that we use. So Charles Schwab, that's a brokerage firm that I've used for a very long time, both personally and for our business. And there's no ATM fees. I mean, that's that's the, the checking side of that. So when you open a Schwab account, typically they'll give you a brokerage account attached with a checking and savings account. So it works quite well. Those three interact quite fluently. Internationally, it's quite smooth. And by that, I mean the ability for you to access your funds outside of America. And unfortunately, 
Uh, Schwab is a firm that will cater uh, specifically to Americans. Now, for international investors and American investors who want to trade internationally, take a look at interactive brokers. So we've used them for decades, multiple accounts, and they allow you to uh, interact with foreign currencies quite easily. So you can buy Forex at spot. I used to, back in the day, uh, I would use like HSBC or Citibank to move money um, across various countries. And when you do that, you need to translate that money into the foreign exchange. Well, Interactive Brokers lets you do that quite easily. It's a very good platform. Unfortunately, they they owe us money. So we spent quite a bit of time promoting their platform back in the day here at Analyze and opening up accounts. And then when it came time for them to pay us, uh, suddenly they, they didn't. And I'm still chasing them for money. And that um, really irks me. But at the same time, I also find myself telling everybody that this is a great platform to use. Uh, for more advanced investors, it sometimes isn't so intuitive. But if you're going to do any international trading, that's the one to use. Overall, we have about 10 different institutions holding our assets under management um, to avoid systemic risk. Now, the question here is how many stocks to hold? So if you're a newbie investor, you may have seen some stock on CNN or some news channel was talking about some great technology, and there's a company that you want to invest in. Be very careful about that, um, finding the next Tesla fallacy. But when you invest in stocks, you ought to hold more than one. Well, how many should you hold? Here's a picture of what proper diversification looks like. So anywhere from 20 to 25 stocks would be a properly diversified portfolio. Now, most people don't want to manage those types of numbers, so they may look to an ETF for a diversified basket of stocks. There's nothing wrong with, as a matter of fact, we highly recommend newbie investors should look at ETFs over stock picking. But this chart is mainly meant to show that you don't want to go and just buy a handful of stocks because you're taking on a lot of company-specific risk when you do that. Now, when you open a brokerage firm and you're going to buy a stock, there's a way to do that which you should follow. So you, here you can see the example where we're going to buy some 3M. We're going to buy 10 shares, as you can see there. And limits, you should always use a limit, which simply means you don't want to pay more than that price. And here, the ask in the upper right there, you can see where we've highlighted ask and size. The ask is what somebody is willing to offer you those shares for. That's their asking price. So it's $104.17. So our limit is also $104.17. But note that just because we offer that, doesn't mean we're going to get that price because we're only buying 10 shares. They have lots of 100 size. So you see that on the upper right, it says ask slash size. Well, that one stands for 100 shares. So if we were buying 100 shares, that trade would go right through. But since we're not, they have to break that up. Sometimes you have to give them a little bit more. So you might say, well, limit 104 and 20 cents. And then they'll have an incentive to break that lot and then just sell you the, the number that again these things don't really matter that much just put in your limit trade and buy the stock and be done with it but you what you want to pay attention to here is uh, market timing versus um, dollar cost averaging so let's talk a little bit about that so we're going to use limit orders uh, as I said we might need to place a few pennies more than the ask just so the trade goes through um, dollar cost averaging is when you 
decide on the amount of money that you want to invest in a stock, but then you don't invest it all at once. You invest it slowly over time by investing a fixed amount at regular intervals. Now, there's plenty of debate uh, around the performance between buying a little bit you know, every day for a month versus putting all that money right into the market as a lump sum. The academics are split on whether the two, uh, which is more advantageous. But I can tell you, and most investors will agree, that you're going to sleep much better at night when you use dollar cost averaging. Especially newbie investors will be tempted to get too emotional. When you're investing in a stock or the stock market or any sort of asset, you ought to be doing that every month with the money that you're making. So if you're a young newbie investor, that means you're typically early on in your career. You're just starting to get money to invest. You have some savings. You want to invest that. You should be investing every month as opposed to somebody that has a big lump sum and looking to put that to work in the market. They'll be in a different situation. But most newbie investors will be just starting to come into some money and they want to turn that into wealth over time. And that's where dollar cost averaging Every month you're investing, that's kind of the nature of how wealth gets created. You do that over a couple decades and you start to notice that it really adds up. So when it comes to dollar cost averaging, which is what we would suggest newbie investors do, uh, there's two approaches that we've taken to that. One is a short-term tech portfolio approach and the other is a longer-term dividend growth approach. So let's talk about building a longer-term portfolio. So in our case, we defined a portfolio of 30 dividend growth stocks. And we said, okay, every month we're going to invest in each one of those stocks. And we did this for quite a long time. So uh, every month you take uh, X divided by 30, 30 stocks, where X is your savings. So let's say you're saving $3,000 a month, okay, and you have 30 stocks. So that means you'd invest $100 in each stock. Sounds small, but this really adds up over time, and it's quite fun. What you can do, when we were building this portfolio, we used DRIPS, that's called Dividend Reinvesting, a Dividend Reinvestment Plan, and you can simply automatically reinvest the dividends as they come up. So not only are you purchasing these shares 12 times a month, but if the company pays a dividend four times a year, those dividends are also going into acquiring more shares. So as your 30 positions grow, some will naturally start to outpace others. They'll start to become more heavily weighted. When that happens, you can just adjust your contributions to keep the weighting across your entire portfolio under control. So the method that we took wasn't all about making sure that we invested the same amount in every company. It was more to make sure that the entire portfolio stayed balanced over time and you were able to control that balance by simply changing the amounts that were going into each stock. It's relatively easy to do. You do that for a couple decades and you're going to start to have some real wealth if you're uh, living below your means and saving as much as possible. So that's sort of the long-term multi-decade approach to building a portfolio and just balancing that based on the money that you're putting in that you're allocating seems to work quite well so those stocks that are temporarily having uh, the doldrums you're putting more money into and those that are going up quite high you're not putting as much into which is a good idea right because eventually they'll revert back to the mean so that was a approach we took for for a long-term portfolio and a short-term portfolio uh, this would be our 
tech stock portfolio. Um, what we did there is first started out by defining a maximum number of positions to hold. You really need to do that because there's a lot of exciting companies out there. And what you'll find is that you want to invest in everything. And this sort of uh, puts that into control. And it also helps you kind of uh, think about um, the type of portfolio that you want to manage, whether that's going to be smaller or larger. Um, when you're entering into a new position, typically you'll be moving faster than that long-term portfolio. So you may already have the money available for this short-term portfolio, at least in this case we did. And we wanted to um, allocate that across tech stocks, and we continue to do that. So, for example, uh, this past week, uh, we entered into a new position. And what we did there, what we'll typically do when we enter a new position is we'll establish a third of the total position size as a start, okay? So here's an example. The size of that position that you want to establish is simply 1 divided by x, where x is the total number of stocks in your portfolio. Then you multiply that weighting by your total value, and that tells you the dollar amount. Here's an example. Let's say that we have 25 stocks in our portfolio. We're looking to go long stock 26. We have a $100,000 portfolio right now. That's the value, okay? And we, are, we have some cash in there that we're using to go into this 26 position. First thing we want to do is decide what's an equal weighting for a 26 stock portfolio. 1 divided by 26, 3.85%. Okay, multiply that by $100,000. It gives you a target position size of $3,850. Now, as we said, we're going to open up a third of a position. A third of 3850 is 1270 by $1,270 worth of shares. And then wait and see what happens. This is the approach that we've always taken. In a bull or a, in a bear market, it's easy enough because typically um, stocks will continue to make new lows. So you'll certainly want to um, tread very carefully there. In a bull market, um, you'll also have lots of volatility. But what are the odds that you, the Nostradamus uh, trader that you are, bought those shares exactly at the bottom? Highly unlikely, right? So as you wait and see what happens, and, you know, we move very slowly, right? We don't uh, sit there and watch the market every day. We, we're managing a large portfolio. We move quite slowly. We just wait and see what happens. And perhaps the company has an earnings report coming up next month and shares dip significantly. If they go up, who cares? We're happy. We own shares in the company. There's no uh, worries about not having put enough money into that position. We just let it sit there and We'll, we'll then set a target valuation ratio. This is very important as well, where the simple valuation ratio is the market cap of a company divided by the annualized revenue. So, for example, our catalog average, where we calculate this for somewhere around, I don't know, 100, more than 100 stocks, is 6.5. So, we set a rule that says we won't invest over 20 or roughly three times our catalog average. So, for example, Snowflake, that consistently has a simple valuation ratio that floats around 20. Whenever it dips below 20, and it's really flirting with that right now. I calculated it the other day, and it was very close to 20, but not quite. Um, we won't invest over 20 for that stock or for any stock. So, what you can do for stocks that you're holding that you haven't allocated your additional two-thirds to, you can set a simple valuation ratio target 
and say that this is where I bought before and I'll, I want to buy below that or I want to buy at that, wait a while and then see when that simple valuation ratio gets lower and use that as opposed to stock price targets. So it's very important that as time goes on, you switch from looking at the uh, share price and your cost basis to looking at valuation ratio because that changes over time. So if a stock price stays the same over time, but they keep increasing revenues, the simple valuation ratio falls and you're getting a better deal. Uh, you're buying growth for cheaper. So always set this target simple valuation ratio for stocks you're adding. Never, ever, whatever you do, invest in penny stocks or over-the-counter junk. Now, ADRs are an obvious exception. If you don't know what I mean when I say that, then don't get involved, right? If you're a sophisticated enough investor to understand what a penny stock ADR is, and a fair number, number of you are because you ask questions about this, uh, then then it's these are valid methods, though they're, they suffer from low liquidity, and you don't get the... Uh, foreign currency diversification from them, but um, they are a way to invest in foreign stocks. So we'd recommend you just open a, an account with Interactive Brokers, purchase the currency, and then use that to buy the stocks on the foreign exchange. This is very important. Limit the amount of money in any single stock so you won't be chasing falling knives. And what will happen sometimes when you purchase a stock is it's going to fall quite a bit. And you say, wow, that's great. I'm happy. Even though I purchased a third of my position and that's fallen, I'm happy because I can get my second third cheap. So you add your second third and you're really happy. Then it falls even more than you thought it was going to the last time. So you buy that third chunk, right? So you've got your, your, your fully allocated. And then the stock price halves, all right? When it's very tempting to continue purchasing that stock and thinking it's getting cheaper and cheaper. And what, what that does to your ego is it lowers your cost basis, right? So it makes you feel better. Be very careful about, they call that catching falling knives. What we do, as I said before, is we set that dollar limit. Before we even enter that position, we set that dollar limit, okay? And that helps us avoid situations where inevitably there will be situations where companies run into big trouble. And an example would be somebody on YouTube the other day was saying, wow, really impressed with your NVIDIA cost basis. And of course, it's fun to wave that around and say, yeah, we bought into NVIDIA at around $25 a share. But what's more honest to tell people is that we did buy NVIDIA at $25 a share. You know what another company we bought at $25 a share? Invitae. And I think that sits at about a dollar a share right now. So now, again, these are paper losses. We don't know what will happen. And Vitae might be one of the toughest decisions we've had to make about whether or not to bail on a company. And we decided to, to stick with that position. We don't know the outcome. Those are paper losses. However, if we lost all our money on Invitae tomorrow, our NVIDIA position has allowed us to cover 17 losses, like similar to uh, Invitae, where let's say we would lose all our money. We made 17 times our NVIDIA cost basis. So because we limited that on Invitae, we limited the amount of money that we could lose. We didn't keep doubling down on that and start to erode the other gains that we're making with winners, such as NVIDIA. So it, the, the other way to think about that is where people will say, well, you should have invested more in NVIDIA. Well, yeah, that's great. You know, anybody can look back and say, yeah, you should have put more in. Setting that rule is fair. It's the old saying where they say, 
Uh, if it's the next Microsoft, all I need is a little, but if it's not, I'm glad I only invested a little. Sort of like that, right? So um, that rule preventing you from chasing falling knives is very important. Uh, this other rule we have, we don't believe in fixed income, so going back to our asset class allocation, um, we believe in growing income, and that's quantigence, and we're not here to talk about that. We've been doing a fair number of uh, dividend growth investing videos and talking about that strategy, but um, you, you do want to consider income as a component of your portfolio. Certainly any financial advisor would, would uh, talk about that. Um, Whatever you do, don't invest before a firm has meaningful revenues. This is for all the tech investors out there. Don't invest in small stocks. They're small for a reason, all right? And be very careful. This Even, even more sophisticated investors can't help but make this mistake. And the problem is that it's perpetuated by financial uh, pundits everywhere, the motley fool putting out their 10, 10 great stocks under $10 bullshit articles. A $100 stock is not more expensive than a $10 stock. It's simply the way that you slice up the pie. Be very careful. Make sure that's intuitive to you. Research that. Read that. And until that becomes very intuitive to you that the price of a stock has nothing to do with the intrinsic value of the underlying company. All right. And then lastly, it's about time in the market, not timing the market. The old uh, story about Fidelity auditing their accounts and the highest performing ones were people who died or forgot they had an account. So it's all about uh, having a long horizon. You'll never be some BSD trader. And then just uh, talking a little bit about size, we have a rule that says we don't let, invest in firms with a market cap less than a billion dollars. You may have a higher or say a lower threshold. People seem to really like small stocks for uh, reasons I don't understand. It could be that uh, lower share price being confused with a cheaper company. But uh, set yourself some rules there and be very, very careful as you start to go down below a billion dollars because there's a lot of risk. And of course, the larger companies um, are inherently less risky. So just to conclude, um, you're going to need a brokerage firm to buy stocks, so make sure you stick with firms that have your best interests in mind. Most newbie investors will start out with one or two stocks in mind. Uh, make sure you take a step back. Think about asset class allocation. If you want to start investing in stocks, make sure you have a portfolio and you invest across good companies that are have lower risk uh, in addition to whatever exciting, sexy tech companies are being flashed across the news. Um, starting with that larger asset allocation picture, putting that into a spreadsheet, using spreadsheets to track what you're doing helps a lot. Um, start with the basics if you're a newbie. We couldn't recommend this enough. Start purchasing ETFs every month with your, with your discretionary income, then move into stocks once you become familiar with that process. And uh, to put my marketing hat on for a second, our Nanalyze New Money Portfolio is something that we're coming out with soon. This will provide some ideas of good stocks to invest in. So what we did there is we took the 10 most compelling tech stocks that we've researched out of the 460 stocks in our catalog. We took the 10 most compelling dividend growth stocks out of the 70 plus dividend champions that we follow. And we put that into a portfolio of 20 stocks that complements each other quite well. So... That's something to look forward to in the future for our paying subscribers. But now that we're at the end of this presentation, we haven't answered the most important question is when to sell stocks. And that's, uh, that's an entirely different can of worms to open. Maybe we'll do that in the future. 
But uh, do me a favor, please click the Nanalyze logo here on the right, subscribe to our channel, and then I've put up another video here on the left that you might find interesting. Thanks for taking the time to watch this today. Thank you for listening to the Nanalyze podcast. If you found this information useful, please share this episode with a friend. This helps us to continue to provide thorough research for you. Want more research like this? Want to know what we're invested in and what stocks we're avoiding? Head to nanalyze.com and consider becoming a premium annual subscriber to get access to premium articles, webinars, and our extensive tech stock catalog. Thank you for your time.